drop. Hi everyone, you're listening to Storyfort Presents, Voices of Treefort Music Fest. This is a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. I'm Allison Meyer from the Storyfort team, and this week we're very excited to bring you a conversation that Christian Wynn and I had last December with writer Olivia Gatwood. Olivia is the author of two poetry collections, New American Best Friend and Life of the Party. Her novel, Whoever You Are, Honey, comes out in 2022. She's also an incredible performer. I urge you to go watch her videos on YouTube. Even if you're already familiar with them, it's a great time to go revisit them. We had planned to host Olivia as part of Storyfort 2020, and we certainly hope to still welcome her to Boise in the very near future. But in the meantime, we hope that you enjoy this conversation. So we are here with the amazing Olivia Gatwood. Thank you so much for joining us on a Saturday evening. Thank you for having me. And you are in L.A. right now. I am in Los Angeles. Yes. When did you move out there? I moved here at the beginning of September, um, and I wasn't planning on moving this soon, but I, I have, I was very against the idea of looking for an apartment on Craigslist because that hunt is like <laughs> far too much for me to handle. And so I was like, Oh, you know, if an, if an apart, if a house land, if a house presents itself to me, then I'll take it. And truly that's what happened. Um, and it's like a very, it was like just a very cool place that was very me, um, was presented to me and I took it. <laughs> Had you spent much time out there before or what has it been like adjusting to life out there? Yeah, no, I've been to LA. I've probably been to LA more than any yeah, city else. Town. Yeah. So I, I had been going here for years and I have a lot of friends here and it, it was very little, um, adjustment. Honestly, the biggest adjustment is just, I was in Santa Cruz before this, which is a small town and I lived a block from the beach. And so COVID was like a very low, had low impact on my life because I, I just already spent so much time alone and outdoors and, and, and it was in a town that wasn't super affected. So the biggest adjustment has just been being in a city where there's just so many people. Yeah. And that was one thing I was going to ask. I mean, it's kind of the obvious question, but just what, what you thought the past year was going to look like before the pandemic hit, what you were planning for and what, what life has looked like because of it. Um, Well, so the last thing I did before COVID was I had a birthday party and it was my (laughs) 28th birthday on the end of February and I had a huge house party and I remember people talking about COVID and being like, what, like, what is that? Like, didn't know what it was, had a big house party, went into lockdown two weeks later. And I was saying at like during lockdown being like, I'm so grateful that I'm not going to have a COVID birthday. Like I'm so lucky <laughs> and now I'm about to have a COVID birthday. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think that m- that was a really big turning point for me. I, I had made a vow that I was going to be single for a year, that I was going to spend time with myself, that I was going to finish 
my first draft of my novel. And honestly, I did those things. And I, I didn't expect there to be a pandemic. And I didn't, and the pandemic has been really difficult in a lot of ways. But the goals that I have for this year pretty much were, most of them were honestly, it was like supposed to be my year of solitude. And, and then, so COVID happened and I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's what we're actually doing. All right. So it sort of lent itself to my year goals, to be honest. You felt like you've been able to be as productive or more productive because of it? Or, you <laughs> yeah, know, of yeah. like much more productive, like psychotically productive. Yeah. Because <laughs> it seems like, you know, there are artists who are that I know, and even myself as a writer, I've, it's difficult. That I feel like more so the last year, but it's like just a that psychological sort of shift that affects you know creatives in different ways. So I'm glad you've been able to keep it rolling all the more. But uh, yeah, we miss having you here. I mean, we put uh, the kibosh on March story for it and tree for it like two weeks before it started. We were like, you know, it was which was smart, but that was like maybe it was just it was psychologically damaging to me perhaps totally. <laughs> so. absolutely no yeah that's i that's really difficult i think that i you know performing was a big part of my job my career before this and so that that has been a hard part is like i'm i'm so used to to connecting with people like that and um and i was really excited for tree for it would be the first festival that i'd performed at so um yeah, that that's been a hard part for sure. This I'm I'm reaching my end of solitude. I don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you've been doing some virtual events during this time. A little oh. yeah, here and there. I did. I've done. I did a few earlier in the pandemic when everyone was kind of excited about about <laughs> Instagram Live. Um, uh, and I haven't done them in a while. Um, but I, you know, I have some. I have some shows coming up with colleges and things like that. And how has that been adjusting to a virtual reading? There's, there's pros and cons. Um, I will say it's sort of nice to be able to just leave the zoom meeting and then you're, you're gone. Um, because performing requires so much interacting, like it'd be way beyond just being on stage. And so that can be really exhausting and traveling is a lot. And so, it is kind of nice to just do it from the comfort of your own home. There's a, it, you're less nervous in a certain way. You have, you care less about how you're dressed, you know, things like that. Um, but I think that the con is just that is the same as the pro you hang up and you're in your house, you know what I mean? And yeah. you like, oh, okay, there's that thing I did. And, and you can't hear any, there's no audience reaction. Yeah. And the idea of there being a live chat during my performance is a horrifying concept. And so, yeah, there's, it's, there's give, give and take. Oh, I can imagine. Do you, yeah, can, are you, do you have access to the live chat? Um, I think you can see, yeah. Like I can see on my Instagram live and I can see, um, like if I host a zoom, I think I can see the chat after. And obviously if I'm not hosting zoom, I can see the chat. And so people are nice, but it, it's a lot, it's intense. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on in your yeah, year of solitude? Sure. Yeah, um, I am coming out with a novel called Whoever You Are, Honey, um, on my usual press, the dial press at Penguin Random House at the beginning of 2022 is when it will come out, um, which is a long, seems like a long <laughs> way. Uh, but the the timeline for book publishing is so vast 
Um, and yeah, I, I, I sold the novel in November of 2019 and uh, it's all I've been, it's basically all I've been working on. I I've recently adopted some new projects, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a novel about a young woman that moves to Santa Cruz um, with her boyfriend, <laughs> which is, it started as very biographical and it emerged, it became something so far beyond me, but um, and she sort of starts to spiral into what I've been referring to as a beauty induced hysteria, um, being in a community that is filled with people who are sort of effortlessly beautiful, um, people who have access to wealth, but, but seem still sort of carefree and, and like beach living, but they're, they're, they're also maybe working in tech, but that's not totally clear. So lots of like strange disorienting details about this community she's in um paired with her own severe insecurity and internalized misogyny um turns into bouts of hysteria mm -hmm. uh in which she begins to convince herself that the women around her are ai <laughs> so oh. um <laughs> and 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 i think that it i'm i'm kind of thinking of it as a as a modern stepford wives but it's different in that it, in that her perceptions of these women aren't necessarily real. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily a, a sci-fi novel depending on how you look at it. And I think that ultimately what I wanted to get down to was that women inside of the male gaze are constructed, you know, whether that be through being built in, in, in technology or just built by societal expectations. Um, but also our perception of women as women can be its own sort of building, building a person to be something else. Um, and I wanted to write about the oscillation between the, the three. I think this, there's this tri triad of emotions that women feel towards each other, which is like jealousy, hatred, and attraction. Yeah. You're like, I don't know if I want to kill you or fuck you or, or be you, you know? And I, I think that there, that is why so many friendships between women feel have this queerness and this intimacy to them. Um, and I just find it really fascinating and I've always felt it. And so, yeah, it's, it's about, it's about that. <laughs> oh, that sounds like my kind of novel. I'm very <laughs> excited about it. <laughs> did you always know there was a novel on the horizon? Like, did you always plan to, to write something of that nature? Well, so I, when I was younger, yes. And then when I like much younger, and then when I went to, I went to college for, for, poetry, but then I, tra I transferred to the fiction program because the story that I wanted to tell felt more lent, like it lent itself more to prose. And, but I honestly know, like, to be frank, I always thought I was just too sort of chaotic and the word isn't lazy, but like chaotic and like, um, functioning in bursts to write a novel that just seemed like such a <laughs> Like I'd hear people, I've been working for five years on my novel. And I'm like, what? How do you work on anything for five years? Because, <laughs> yeah. So, and it's not to say you don't work really hard and on poems and that you don't spend a lot of time on poems. But for me, at least the process of writing poetry, it happens in bursts. And it's so, there's this immediate satisfaction because you can really get a poem out in one sitting. And with fiction, it's just, it's just another beast for me. Um, I don't think it comes naturally to me. 
And so it's been, um, I've, I've been learning how to do it while I'm doing it. And now I can see myself writing a lot of novels. And now I, um, so many ideas come to my head that feel like novels, but it was a huge learning curve. And it really was a test of, of diligence, to be honest. I really admire novelists and how just like what hard workers they are. And poets, I already knew. I, I, I'm careful to say this because I don't want to sound like I'm saying poetry is not hard. <laughs> Believe me, I know poetry is so hard. hard. But it's like, just even if you're considering word count, you know, my novel is like 65,000 words. And it's just, I think that that, it's just the, the amount of time, um, the amount of words to consider. Um, and even like in poems, when you're editing a poetry collection, you can put it on the wall, like I mentioned <laughs> before, and you can say, oh, this poem, you can point to a poem, this poem is what I need to edit. In fiction, you're like, wait, I think this like one tiny scene, but where in these 265 pages is that scene? Like how do, there's a lot of organization. It's, it's a very type A art form. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Poetry is not to me. Um, and I am, I don't think I'm type A. So I'm trying to learn how to be type A. That's yeah, and I'm curious, yeah, like what, I mean, because a lot of your poems, of course, um, I mean, like in Life of the Party, is so there's so much narrative to them, but it's presented differently um, than probably you would do in a, you know, a more traditional novel. But is some of the stylings of your poetry, like, and I'd imagine, well, I'm just curious how they entered you know, the prose um, and where that line is drawn yeah. for you yeah so I think the poems that I I'm drawn towards are prose heavy because I I just love storytelling I love mm -hmm. hearing people's stories I feel like I judge people based on how good at telling stories they are at, at like parties it's like, <laughs> it's like someone's like just telling a story and they're a good storyteller I'm like so into it I'm so yeah. into them and when someone's telling a story and they're not they're not quite <laughs> including the right details I'm like man that's I don't know what what you experienced, but I just know it could be told better than that. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. You're like breaking down or critiquing party stories in the yeah. most. People have these crazy things happen to them and then they're just, they just say it in these like, <laughs> like, oh, I don't know, you know, whatever. Like my mom does that. My mom's a great storyteller, but my mom does that. She'll, she'll just like casually say these things. And I'm like, what? Like, no, no, no. You need to present that better. Like you really need to like give me the details here. Um, but so I, th I think my poems have always been really narrative driven, but I think that it's honestly, a lot of it is just psychological, which is that with poetry, for some reason, I don't go into poetry with any consideration for rules. I don't go into poetry with any sort of like, this is how you write a poem. I literally just say, tell the story from the beginning. And also it's easier when you're telling a story that's from a memory because you have all the details at your disposal already. When you're inventing a story, it's there's so much to consider, and there's and there's also with fiction for some reason I get really stuck in these rules of craft and just like mm -hmm. sentence structure and like um, there's there's just so I, I feel like there are just inherently more rules and so and the best novelists I think often are people who really understand the craft and with poets, it's not always that way. I think there are incredible poets that are just, you know, there's that phrase that everyone says, which, you know, whatever, like a poet and you didn't know it. I feel like you're not a fiction writer and don't know it. you like know that you're a fiction writer because you really, but poetry is so beautiful and how, um, 
and how free, how much freedom you have. And, and so I think that I just get stuck in that with fiction, but they're both good in their own ways. And I've been thinking lately, like the best novelists are poets and the best poets are novelists, I think is how I feel. Yeah. Uh, Just one, yeah, on that note too, I would, I've just, I don't know if you read or if you're a fan or familiar with, I'm sure you probably are, Patricia Lockwood, um, mm-hmm. the yeah. poet now who has her first novel coming out. And she just said a, like an excerpt in the New Yorker recently that was insanely, it was a beautiful, it was like almost a series of poems. Um, uh, yeah. which it's, it's, a, it's a kick-ass story and very, or she's a, a story adapted from the novel, but I just was curious, like if, if you had experienced that or read it, Yet. I didn't. I, I know Patricia Lockwood's work, um, her poems, but I didn't know that she was coming out with a novel. I'm actually so excited to read that now. Yeah. But yeah, and I and you know Ocean Vuong just came out with a novel, and that's very poetic. And I think for a long time, there was this weird um, sort of people were sort of turned off by po- by novels that were too too poetic. And I remember in that was true in college, like a lot of the the books we would read that were too poet that were really poetic people really didn't like and i really liked it um so I, I really love that there's this new wave of poets that have started to write stories from a, re- a really emotional place a really image-based place um and po- and novels that experiment with chronology and and metaphor and yeah i, I really like that yeah, I was wondering if there were certain novels you were studying while you were working on yours that were helpful. Oh my God, yeah, um, that is the other thing. That's the proof that I'm learning. I read a, I read a lot of poems already, but I grew up in a community of poets, and so I feel like I had so much knowledge about poetry from the time I was a young teenager. With fiction, even though I grew up reading novels, I never studied them, and. I did it obviously in college, but even then in college, I was like not writing a novel. So I wasn't studying it the same way. Now I'm like constantly like turning to novelists, like teach me how to write. Um, (laughs) I, uh, let's see, what have I read? Um, I am right now I'm reading two books. I'm reading Eileen by Otessa Moshbeg, which is great. Uh, I'm reading Tipping the Velvet by Sarah Waters. Um, It's, I love it so much. It's so incredible. Um, I read a book called The Governesses, which is a French novella by a woman named Anne Serre um, that was translated into English two years ago. It's so beautiful. Um, what else have I read? Uh, I read East of Eden um, towards the end of, I started at the beginning of quarantine and read it through um, quarantine and loved it. Uh, yeah. So just like sort of, I've been, I've been turning to a lot of novels that are written in the same tense and POV as mine, which is, Mm -hmm. um, like omnipresent present tense. So like, Mm. or, or omnipresent close, which is like, you know, third person on the, on the protagonist in present tense, which is the most annoying tense. I don't know why I did that. (laughs) Um, It's horrible. Oh, uh, and Flannery O'Connor writes a lot in that tense. I've been reading some of her. So yeah, those are some of them. Those are some good ones. Yeah. We were, we're one of our dream story for writers is Otessa Moshvig. I I mean, Allison's a big, I'm a fan. Super, super fan. I, I, you know, yeah. I'm a big enthusiast. I, and I love her work. We all, you know. Yeah. She's, she's wonderfully Did you read the piece that, about how she met her husband? 
No. Okay. After this interview, I'm kidding. <laughs> Go and read, read the piece. There's a piece about how she met him. She met him because he came to her house to interview her. And you can read the interview of them, of him interviewing her, watching them fall in love, like listening to them, reading them fall in love. And then there's a piece about that. And it's just, you need to read this both. And it's like, it's a very good, it's very, it's a very enjoyable experience. <laughs> That's amazing. <I> <laughs> have you been writing poetry also, or have you been really focused on the novel or like how much have you been shifting between things? I have not written a poem in over a year. <laughs> um, honestly, I have been so, bu- just so bullied by this novel. It is like, the, I'm so, it is so hard. I just, I know I'm going to keep saying that, that I am blown away by how hard it is. Um, so I've not written a poem. I feel this thing in my body that I don't want to waste any of my language on something that isn't this novel. Um, although I have been screenwriting, so that's not fully true, but, um, I, yeah, no, I have not written a poem. Um, but I, I also haven't, I haven't really, there hasn't been anything that I've wanted to write a poem about. So, yeah. 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 I'm curious too, like as a poet, probably so much of your career has been as a performance poet too. I mean, I mean, as a page poet or everyone to differentiate but you, you have so much charisma and so you you crush on stage it'd be really good and so <laughs> yes. that idea of like i have a kind of a couple friends um in that i did my grad school stuff with kind of like write a couple of pieces like first for being performed as, as fiction and then but they were like their best stories in my opinion and um, i think in theirs at least somewhat but i feel like uh, or I wonder for you, like as someone who performs and just knows how to really captivate an audience on stage, did any of that kind of ethic like cross, or is it crossing over into your prose? Like, is it sort of like, are you on the other side in the audience sort of um, thinking about how I would, they would be reading, you know, an mm-hmm. Olivia Gatwood novel or is yeah. that? A yeah, no, totally. I, I mean, I read everything aloud to myself even you know my prose and I think rhythm is like just really important to me uh it's really important I I, I'm really affected by books that aren't written with rhythm and so I do think like that element of my writing has transferred over I'm also so lucky that I feel like I really know my audience um I've my I've had a really loyal readership over the years and so I've I've just really gotten to know them so I think about them a lot when I'm writing. I think about the experience that they'll be having when they read this book. And and I've, I don't quite know what that means yet for how I'm going to present it because I usually tour music venues. And so I'm not going to do that with a novel. Um, I'll probably just do a normal bookstore tour and and do the thing. And I've always wanted to do that. I'm excited about that. But um, but yeah, I, I think a lot about how, how it's going to be for them and, and what they need to hear, I guess. And what mm-hmm. they, it's funny because so many of them came into my life when they were younger, like 16 and some of them now are like 22, 23. And so they're dealing with different things and mm-hmm. we've all sort of grown up together in this way. So I, I think a lot about them and, and what it is they need to, they'll need to experience. And I try to write something that's cinematic and alive and 
something you want, you want to read aloud, something you want to, to underline and highlight. And yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'd certainly like to have you at Storyport. I'm so excited to perform. I always love performing poems and that's, I actually need to write more poems so that I can keep. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, when when the novel comes out, maybe we can get you in the circuit too. We hope, but anyway, I know Allison, you had some other. Well, I'm I'm curious. I kind of want to talk about screenwriting a little bit too, because that's fascinating to me. How did that come about? Um, so I, it initially came about because I, um, there's conversation about adopting this novel into a film. And so I would really like to co-write it with someone. Um, I would really like to have that role in it. And so I, I've been learning to screenwrite. Um, I do find screenwriting to be closer to poetry than any genre that I've experienced, um, because it's just a series of images obviously there it's driven by dialogue and that's, I think its own animal, but I think that I do find it really poetic. Um, I, I find it takes kind of a poet's brain. Uh, and so, um, because in, in a, in a novel, you're so internal in fiction, you're so internal. You're, you have this beautiful privilege of, of being able to say what a person is thinking. And in screenwriting, you can't do that. You're just having to present images to, to communicate something. And, and I think that's what poetry does. And so that's initially why I started to kind of learn. And then I, I, I practiced by adapting my poems into short, into shorts. Oh, cool. And I, I encourage that for anyone that wants to get into screenwriting. I think if you've written poems, I think, especially if they're really narrative based, turning those into screenplays is a really fun exercise. Um, and then I've started kind of writing, uh, working on a, a different novel that's not my own, um, working on adapting that. So oh, cool. Yeah. Hmm. Very cool. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about that. Well, <laughs> I, I want to know, know everything. I can tell you off, maybe off there. But what I, I'm, I am super curious about, like how you've adopt, you know, adapted, you know, this poetry into short film, like how that works. Is a poem being read or is it just like the essence of a particular poem or I'm curious. Yeah. It's, the, it's more the essence. So it's like, um, I have a poem about in, I think it's, I, I know it's in it's in my first book, New American Best Friend, and it's called The First Shave. And it's about it's about going with my childhood friend to her father's lover's home and her father's lover is dying of cancer. And we went to her home and we had nothing to do. And so we shaved our legs for the first time. And that's a true story from my childhood. And I wrote this poem about it. So I adapted that into a short by just by actually like writing the memory in a series of real scenes with dialogue and um, and and because it's a short, I got to also be sort of creative and I got to, you know, elaborate in ways that I wouldn't with poetry where I'm trying to tell the truth. And so um, it doesn't have any of the language from the poem. It's just the same story. But I think because I'd written the poem, I had this really nice outline to work from. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, well, that's interesting, too, because, like, we are Ted X talk um, to speak to those sorts of, um, those details and the the small things telling the larger story. So you're almost like, you kind of went to the page with it in the way you were talking about in that talk, where it's like, 
looking at the details of a, a memory of a backyard, of a swimming pool, of, yeah. of a bathing suit, and kind of expanding that notion. And then um, you kind of did that on the page, and then you kind of backed up and you <laughs> got to make a, right. make a film that was almost like the the actual incident. That's that's yeah. really great. That's cool. I, those can't, are, I can't let things go. That's my problem. <laughs> That's are those like are they available like on can we, can we find those no so well the the shorts i would really i so i ended up turning i ended up writing that first short and then i ended up writing three more that turned into like a series of shorts based on poems and th but then they ended up having their own thing and and shorts are very hard to get made um because they cost a, a significant amount of money for you know, yeah. 10 minutes of whatever. And, and just like in today, it's just not really something people fund, but I would really, I've not, I've not let them go. And I, I would really like to get them made. I think it could be a really fun, a really fun sort of um, kind of almost experimental project. It would be like four shorts, 40 minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, first I need, fifty thousand dollars <laughs> but one day may you know i'll put my energy into maybe get applying for grants or something like that are you a big movie fan have you been watching many movies so i found that watching movies has been really helpful for my novel and i think that that's really not something that i heard about before um but i've been watching more movies um i'm dating a filmmaker and so he's been he's been giving me a crash course um, <laughs> in films and it's been really eye-opening to see these different, I, I think I'm just most inspired by what it means to, to just kind of tilt something to make it a little stranger. And I think in film, there's just a lot of that and it gives, it, it does for me what poetry did, which it, it kind of, it helps me break more rules. I'm so stuck mm -hmm. with rules in fiction. Like, yeah. I, so it's been really nice to be like, oh, okay, wait, 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 wait. Like, actually, I know how to be wild. And um, I wasn't a big movie person. I didn't really grow up watching movie that many movies. And, um, but I've been learning. I've just been, yeah, my, I've been having my mind expanded for sure. Alice is a big movie person too. So I know <laughs> oh, you've been watching a lot of like '90s rom-com, or uh, <laughs> you're yeah. talking about. Well, but, I was just talking today about Say Anything, which is my favorite oh, it's so romantic good. movie of all time. It's, yeah. Yeah. I do think it's like, I think movies are such a perfect way to study structure. That's kind of what I've been doing the past few months. But yeah, I was wondering, have there been any movies in particular you've discovered recently that have been really yeah. helpful? Um, I watched the movie, a movie called Women in Love, um, mm -hmm. which is, I think, was made in the mid 60s. Um, that's really beautiful. Uh, there's a movie called Safe. It was Julianne Moore's first movie. And that was made in the 90s. That's really um, applicable to now. It's about it's about people with environmental illness. Mm. All a metaphor for HIV. It's really incredible. Oh. Highly recommend. It's like a housewife who convinces herself she's getting sick. It's really incredible. Wow. Um, let's see what else. Uh, there's this really wild movie called Lola Montez, which is this um, French, is it French? Yeah, this French film about this woman who is in a circus act and she's kind of like, she's she's this presented in this circus as like 
this like rare being like almost like a freak show, but, but her like talent is that she like used to be a whore. <laughs> so they're like presenting her as like this amazing woman yeah. that has sex with all these men. It's really cool. Um, so just like these really weird, I don't know, the person, the person that I'm dating has really in, an incredible encyclopedic knowledge of film. So a lot of these films I think are, are movies yeah. that film people are really into. Um, but I'm always a fan of a nineties rom-com to be honest. <laughs> I think at heart, I'm like very basic if I'm being honest, like I think, yeah. which is not to say you are basic, but no, I, I mean. personally, <laughs> I personally like only want to watch stories about girls falling in love. That's just, yeah. you know, so, um, yeah. I've been yeah. getting very unevolved and putting things into a very problematic binary <laughs> of girl movies and boy movies, which <laughs> I say that with complete knowledge of how just like unevolved that concept is, but I don't even mean that there are like girls on stage. I think what I mean is I'm just so much more interested in feminine filmmaking. Yeah. Not same with girlhood, but is like, Oh yeah. You know, I, I just, I totally masculine movies and I'm like, no, I get so bored. This is, I think the thing, you know, when I was like 14, I just wanted to watch rom-coms just cause I wanted to watch women doing yes. things you just want to watch women doing things yeah like, <laughs> and that was it on screen I feel I feel a sense of calm exactly exactly and Sandra Bullock in particular was my favorite so I've been going back to all of her films because she she was who I turned to when I yeah. was younger and they're all there are male actors also who do play roles in really feminine ways like Hugh Grant is someone mm -hmm. who I associate with like really feminine films. I love watching him, you know, I just think yeah. like Tom Cruise, who I just, I have no interest in. Exactly. I'm exactly the same way. Yes. <laughs> so would you say John Cusack fits in that? I feel like he John is. John Cusack, yes. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um, you should definitely watch all the movies I just mentioned, Allison, they're very much girl movies as well. I'm truly might uh, just go do that right after this. <laughs> no, you should. They're, they're a little weird and they're older. Perfect. So you have to, but you'll, I think you'll really like them. Um, so, okay. Shifting gears a little bit because I loved Life of the Party so much. It's, I cried so much reading it. Um, you have this magic where like, I don't know what you do, but all of a sudden I'm just crying. So I am obsessed with it. And I think that I really related to your relationship with true crime because I have a very fraught relationship with it. I think I'm drawn to it because of my own fears, but I have a lot of issues with it as a genre. And I'm wondering, um, so like for me this past year, I haven't actually consumed like any true crime. It just wasn't the year for it. And I was wondering kind of where you are right now with true crime. <laughs> Um, I feel like we're the same person. I, <laughs> anyway, um, I listen, the only true crime I listen to is when I'm really lonely. I listen to the live, my favorite murder episodes, but only because yes. I like to hear the crowd. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. I, I just like, it makes me feel like I'm in something, I'm in an event or something. Exactly. No, you're like, I don't really want to learn anything, but I no, I yeah. Music. I just want to feel like I'm around people. Yes, exactly. That's the only true crime I've been listening to. Otherwise, yeah, I could not, I don't have any interest. It just, I yeah. think also once you decode why you consume it, it becomes less interesting. I think that's true. That was, I was kind of wondering, like after you had written the book, like if you were kind of at a different place with your relationship with it anyway. 
Yeah, that's what's weird about writing books is you write a book to figure out, figure something out, and then you figured it out. So then you sort of lose interest in it. And then you have to do all these interviews about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, not this interview, but the interviews right after Life of the Party yeah. came out. I was doing all these interviews of people being like, oh my God, like, have you heard of this murder? And I was like, I could not care less, you know? Yeah. Like, I wrote this book so that I wouldn't care anymore. And that's what's funny about writing books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say, you know, this, uh, you know as a, a white guy, sort of, who hadn't been super into true crime and just hadn't really ever, you know, been a big reader, but mostly fiction and just not necessarily in that genre, but it was, I have to say, and so it was, a, it was a remarkable book in many ways. It made me tear up as well, oh, but it also was in very, it was very instructional, I have to say, <laughs> like to me, and Al, having Allison as a friend and just as someone involved in the story for it, team when I was talking about these things um, and just it, it brings a lot of really important stuff to the page that I think will continue hopefully like men you know sort of middle-aged men like myself you know, who enjoy a good you know poem and uh, the story will read this and like actually like pay attention and, and learn some some, That's so kind. some awesome thing yeah, like, like just how I mean it's, it brought empathy and understanding to an element of um your life and like uh, the the characters in this in this collection's life that I've, I've really admired a lot and learned a lot from so that was pretty great thank you that's so nice i appreciate it's, that yeah it's true so, <laughs> but anyway back to true crime and lack of true crime <laughs> well, I don't know. one of the nicest things that someone has said was this this man in london was like I shouldn't just call him the man in London. I'm pretty sure he's like the head of Penguin Random House UK. <laughs> like not just a man in London. No one's just a man in London, but especially him. And so he was like, um, he was like, I don't know why men would be mad at you. He was like, because you're doing them such a favor by explaining these things. Mm. And I was so I that's not why I wrote it, but I was so I felt so complimented by that because yeah. I considered that. And um I know I turned to, you know, authors who I don't share identities with to understand their experience. And so the idea of a man doing that with mine was really touching. Yeah, I was curious about that because I actually, we, I have been in workshops, Christian's workshop, where we've read some of your work and it has been very interesting that it really resonates with men. And I was curious if, if you had received comments like that. I mean, I'm sure you also get other I get all kinds, yeah. <laughs> the men who show up, the men who yeah. leave their keyboards and come to my shows are really, really wonderful generally. Yeah. Um, the ones who kind of aren't as much, truthfully, usually don't read my work. They right, exactly. See you as kind of an internet personality. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's pretty rare that men will engage with my work and come away from it feeling angry. That's really Yeah, weird. exactly. I have to ask because, because I'm a My Favorite Murder live show, any, any show fan. Um, are they familiar with the fact that there's like a poem in your book that's based off the title? I do have a, I have a photo of them reading it, <laughs> of them reading, standing there reading my book. Um, and that is the limit of my content. <laughs> um, I do have that photo. I think someone had gone backstage or something and, and taken a, a picture of that, given them my book and taken a, and taken a picture of them reading it. Um, and that is the extent I would really like to be on the show. I want to be on the show and I want to talk about how we can talk, how we can 
consume true crime and still be abolitionists. Yeah. Um, and yeah. maybe they aren't abolitionists, but at the very least, how we can consume true crime while also recognizing like the police are violent. I would really, cause I, I, I'm really, I do actually believe, and I know they've had a series of, of call outs. Um, yes which I stand by and see. Yes. I also believe that they genuinely want to learn. Um, yeah. I, I think I feel that way. I, I feel like so. when I hear the way they process these call outs, it's generally with like a, a pretty remarkable level of understanding and going off and educating themselves and coming back, um, which is what I believe in as like someone yeah. for restorative justice. And so I would really like to see that conversation happen more on their podcast. And I, I would just, that's why, that's what I would want to talk about. Yes. <laughs> I want this to happen too. <laughs> that and I want to talk about the West Mesa murders in Albuquerque. Yeah. Yes. Which is where you grew up. Yeah. Albuquerque. That's my yeah. hometown murder. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so also another dream artist for, artists for us would be to bring my favorite oh, murder to so Boise. Funny. I'm sure you could. I what if we brought them here and then we did that show? We brought you on stage and we had this discussion. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. Because we're talking about Tree Fort, and, which is a music festival, I was wondering what your relationship with music is. And um, yeah. there are certain artists you love. Or... Totally. Yeah. Um, I love music. <laughs> uh, I'm really affected by it. And so... I go through periods where I really can't listen to it because I, mm. I'll listen. I, of course, I'm always listening to it, but I go through heavier periods of listening yeah. to it when I'm okay with being more emotionally like pulled back and forth. Cause I just get, it can propel me like into a place of that I cannot return from. So, yeah. um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, I grew up listening to, um, a lot of Motown, um, I grew up listening to a lot of Aretha and Bill Withers, a lot of Tracy Chapman. That's what I grew up listening to. So that always just like remains very familiar to me and um, close to me. Uh, but I think my, I, my two genres that I generally lean towards is like Neo soul. I just like, I really love like a bitch who can belt. <laughs> yeah. I really love a strong voice. That's very important to me. Um, and like, I, I just, I have, I, I love pop music actually. And I really love to indulge in it, but I do have a hard time with, with, with when an artist is like, isn't going there with their voice. Um, but I also love pop music and I, I think pop, I think pop music is everyone likes it. And, if people don't, they're just pretending. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I, I went to middle school or spent a good significant portion of middle school in Trinidad in the Caribbean. And so, um, dance hall is just what I, I turn to when I want to feel good. And so, yeah. I love that. And I love live music. I love the experience of live music. Yeah. I, love, I, 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 yeah, I really, I love, I'm so in awe of people that can, I'm so jealous that I was never like in a band, you know? So yeah, that's late. how yeah. I feel. I, I wish I would have been. One yeah. Point. <laughs> I wish I just like learned an instrument from the time I was little. You know? That's just what yeah. I wish, but 
Do you ever get inspired as a performer just from musicians? Like, do you ever see like their influence in your performance? Yeah. So when I went on tour, I think we talked about this first story for it. When I went on tour this last time, and I brought, and I usually bring a musical artist to open for me. um, Because I just, when I was younger watching performances, like, I just really loved when poets incorporated music, whether that was behind them or whether you also got to see music while you were there. And so I just try to make the show that I would have wanted to go to. And I love cello. And I figured the person I brought on tour with me, who's a cellist named Kaylin Nolte, she told me that cello is the only instrument that mimics the exact range of the human voice. Wow which is why we love it so much and why it feels like so kind of haunting because it yeah. literally sounds like a person. So I love cello behind poems for that reason. Um, and my friend, Melissa, Melissa Lozada Oliva, who's also a poet, mm-hmm. she was telling me, we were talking about writing to movie scores. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So that's been, yeah, that's been really nice. So you mentioned being drawn to people who are really good storytellers. And I was just curious who the best storytellers are in your life. Maybe like the not famous ones. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. That's a really great question. Um, good questions, by the way, you guys. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited when, when people aren't like, how did you start writing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I started writing. <laughs> okay. So uh, storytellers. Okay. Um Okay, honestly, um, my boyfriend's dad, he is a novelist. No, well, he is a writer, um, not a novelist. He writes historical nonfiction, but excellent. But he is an incredible storyteller. And he just like, the other day, he just like basically convinced me that like, everyone has been assassinated by the CIA. <laughs> 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 like really amazing. Um but, and with that, my boyfriend's a really good storyteller, um, a really, really good storyteller. My mom is an incredible storyteller. Um, my friend, Melissa, is a really great storyteller. I, we have really similar ways of telling stories to each other. So we, I think we always get really excited about telling stories to each other because we know what the other one likes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, who else is... Um, my friend Sarah is like the best texter that I know because of how she tells me things in text. She just reveals information really well. <laughs> I, I just really, yeah. Um, I think those are, those are some of them. I really, my favorite thing is just like drinking wine and telling stories. I just yeah. my favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot then. You have, I'm going to ask you to tell a story of something that happened to you. You want to lay one on us? like <laughs> My best story that I have never written is about, is one time my, when my dad, when I was really young, my dad and I used to drive across the country to North Carolina to see my grandparents because my dad hates flying. And so basically every year since I was young, we would drive across the country. And it just became this little ritual of ours. And when we would drive, Three hours east of Albuquerque is a place called Santa Rosa, New Mexico. And there's a natural cold spring there that's like 125 feet deep and is completely clear. And it's where they train all the scuba divers in the Southwest. And so we'd go, we'd stop there on our way east in at Blue Hole, which is what it's called. And we'd go swimming and next to Blue Hole is a lake that's really warm. So Blue Hole is very cold, the lake. (laughs) So we just go back and forth and swim forever. My dad loves to swim too. 
So one day we go do that. We're going back and forth. We're going back and forth. We finally get in the car to go to drive north to North Carolina. My dad realizes that his watch is gone and he loves his watch. So he's like, I need to turn around. I need to go get my watch. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. So we turn around, we go back to Blue Hole. As we pull into the parking lot, a scuba diver is coming out of the water and he's holding my dad's watch. (laughs) And my dad was like, that's my watch. And he was like, oh, I was like 60 feet down and I put my hand out and your watch like. so he gives my dad the watch so as we're getting in the car we hear all these people yelling and we see a guy dive into the water and he comes out holding a squirrel that had decided it wanted to swim but drowned and the guy takes a squirrel this is going to sound like i'm lying and i'm not i tell sounds like a lie he takes the squirrel, he takes it out. All the kids are surrounded around him. My dad gets a little oh, no. straw. He gets a little straw out of the trash can, cuts it, gives it to the guy. The guy starts giving the squirrel CPR, okay? <laughs> I'm like not even joking. And the squirrel dies. So we're like, damn. So we like, the guy's like, oh, well. And so he kind of like takes the squirrel behind a tree. My dad's like, by now it's like five o'clock. My dad and I are so tired. We just like weren't in the mood. And he was like, you know what? Like we only are three hours outside of Albuquerque. We have like 20 more hours to go. I don't want to do this. Let's turn around. Let's go sleep at home. And let's get back on the road on a, in a couple of days. So I'm like, oh, okay. So we turn around. We drive back to Albuquerque. We be- get back to Albuquerque at night. And my mom and my brother had gone away somewhere. When I, I walk up to the porch, my dad's unloading the car and I see that the door is open. And I was like, that's weird. And I walk up and there's a man standing in the living room. So he starts screaming at me and he backs me out of the house and he's yelling at me saying, are you Brian? Are you Brian? My dad's name is Byron. So I was like, no. And my dad comes over and the guy's backing us out of the house. And then he just bolts and he had robbed our house. But he had, he only took like a rug, like a little rug. Um, (laughs) Luckily, he didn't have anything of value. And my dad was like, oh my God. But it was just this strange day of just timing. There was so much timing. And it was all around this watch was was the (laughs) thing that was so strange about it. So that's like my best story that I've That's a great told. story. That is amazing. I haven't yeah. written it because I feel like it's meant to just be told at parties. Yeah. There's no real lesson <laughs> there. It's just <laughs> weird. I love that. Well, I, w- I would have said 10 out of 10 if I was at the party. Yes. I was, if I was internally yes. judging. Yes. pressure, really. actually. <laughs> so. yeah. Awesome. Well, you've got... Close this out with this. I've I mean, it's probably was... a perfect way to end. I don't know. Is there anything you want people to know before we? No, this was very thorough. I'm really yeah. excited to come to Boise. I'm really yeah. excited for the story for it, and I'm so excited to be there. Allison, you can close this out then. I know. Usually, Olivia, we close by saying we'll see you at the fest. So okay. we will see yeah. you at the fest. Yeah. I'll see you at the fest. <laughs> Tomorrow, but tomorrow never came.